Well, good morning. Great to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our preaching team. And uh, if this is your first week in this new building, thank you for joining us uh, for what's to us week two, but to you week one. I hope you like it. I hope it feels uh, increasingly comfortable to you just as you kind of uh, get used to it. I love seeing people uh, walk around. And I, I don't know how the whole building project, for those of you who've been here for a while, I don't know how, how fast it all felt to you. A lot of people feel, said to me like, gosh, it felt like it just went so fast. But I'll tell you what did not feel like it went fast was the first month Right? We were so excited, oh, we did the groundbreaking, and then there was the day that the dirt movers showed up, and the construction fence showed up, and I remember driving over here with my family, and it was so cool out on the fence, it said future home of Redemption Gateway, and it was like, oh, yeah, and it was like, oh, this is going to really get going, and then week after week after week after week, all they did was move dirt around, move some dirt around, water it, move some dirt around, water it. And it was like, let's go, guys. Let's get moving. Like, we got we to gotta pick the pace up here. Are we going to be delayed? You know, you're, I'm thinking all that stuff. And, and in hindsight, I'm very, very, very glad that they took their time to make sure that that dirt was right before they laid the foundation. Because I think you know, if you've ever built anything, what you build on makes all the difference. If the ground you build on is not solid, it causes huge problems. One of the biggest construction disasters in history took place in Manitoba, uh, Canada, um, many, many years ago. They had built this giant uh, grain elevator where they could store and kind of handle all this different grain. They could actually handle one million bushels of grain. And uh, they built the thing, and it looked great, and they started filling up all the different containers, all the different things that were designed to hold this grain. And when it got 94% full, they noticed that the ground sank about a foot. Well, everybody went home and thought, oh, no big deal. It'll all settle. And the next day, they showed up, and here's what it looked like. They had tilted 27 degrees. Because what you build on makes a huge difference, right? If you build on soft, shifting ground, this is what you end up having. If you build on solid, steady ground, you end up with a solid, steady building. Today what we're doing in this letter to the Philippians is we're, we're hearing Paul as he describes some of what his life is built on. Jesus talked about what your life is built on. He compared people who heard his words and listened to them like people who built their house on a rock while people who heard his words and did not listen to him built their house on sand. When the rain stormed, when the rain came and the wind came and all of it, it blew down the house that wasn't built on solid ground. So let me ask you today, what is your life built on? What's your life built on? And can it withstand the rain and the wind and the storms that are coming. The Apostle Paul's a guy who, having planted a number of churches and, and walked with them over the years, writing correspondence to help encourage and strengthen them, he experienced quite a few storms. And yet in this passage, he's able to encourage these Philippians that he loved. He's able to give them hope and joy because his life was built on Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at today is, is what happens when your life is built on Jesus. How does a life being built on Jesus change you and what does it look like? I think that's what Paul addresses here in this back half of Philippians chapter one. So that's what we're going to look at. Three things that happen when your life is built 
on Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for how you teach and instruct us in your word. God, thank you for faithful saints who've gone before us, who can show us the way. God, we want to be people whose lives don't tip over because we're built on a ground that's not solid. We want to be built on Jesus. Give us your grace for that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, three things that happen when your life is built on Jesus. First, when your life is built on Jesus, you have confidence that transcends circumstance. When your life is built on Jesus, you have confidence that transcends circumstance. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians. Philippi, by the way, is in uh, what is now Greece. Paul's writing from Rome where he's been under house arrest and he's awaiting a simple decision. He will either be released and be able to go back and continue to lead and that means more suffering for him or he will be executed. That's the choice. And in the middle of that, he's writing to the Philippians, and notice the confidence that he has as we read these verses. Look at the end of verse 18 down through verse 26. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This suffering I'm in, this house arrest I'm in, this way that I'm not able to share the gospel as much as I want, it's still going to work out. As it is my eager expectation, verse 20, and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Almost every week in this series, there's going to be a verse that is really worth memorizing. Verse 21 is that verse. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a confident statement. That's a bold statement. Paul's saying, listen, either way, I get Jesus. Either I get Jesus because I'm released and I get to keep serving him and walking with him and suffering for him, or I die and I get Jesus because I get to be with him. Verse 22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. This is sort of uh, Paul writing as if he had the choice, right? This choice is not really up to him, but he's saying, if it were up to me, let me, let me tell you how I process this. Verse 23, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Just an aside there. We talk a lot about going to heaven when we die. When we die, we'll go to heaven. When we die, we'll go to heaven. When we die, we'll go to heaven. The biblical story is much more about heaven coming to earth. And you notice that when Paul talks about his death, he doesn't talk about going to heaven. He talks about going to be with Christ. The thing he looked forward to about heaven was being with Christ. He says, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account in other words, if I, if I stay here, if I keep living, I'll be able to keep encouraging you. I'll be able to keep building you up in the faith. I'll be able to keep ministering to you. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Did you hear how confident Paul is? I mean, he's facing circumstances that almost none of us have ever faced. You're in prison And either they'll release you or they'll kill you. He's like, yeah, that's fine. 
And, and this sounds really impressive when we read verse 21, to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. But if you actually think about it, think about it for a moment. Think about Paul's life. This is crazy. Because listen, if Paul is released, this, this does not mean that he'll be sitting on an island somewhere in the Mediterranean drinking a pina colada going to live as Christ, hashtag blessed. You know, posting great pictures of his feet with the beach in the distance. Like, that's not, that's not what living is for the Apostle Paul. What's living for the Apostle Paul? Well, he describes his kind of normal life. He describes it in 2 Corinthians 11. Here's what he says. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's not what you did in the 70s. That's getting beaten by rocks and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and this is the crown jewel for him, apart from all these other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul says, listen, everywhere I've gone, I've suffered. I've suffered physical things, I've suffered spiritual things, I've suffered opposition, and I have this never-ending weight thinking about all the people who've come to faith that I want to see finish their life well. That's life for Paul. It's not for me to live as Christ, la-di-da, isn't this so comfortable? No, 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 no. To live as Christ means sharing in the fellowship of suffering with Christ. What would make him want that or see it that way? Well, it's what he goes on to say in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians. He says, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me ask you, could you say that sentence, I'm content, I, me, you. Put your name in there. Laura, Bill, Jim, Luke. Luke is content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why could Paul say that? Because his life was built on Christ. What gave him power was not his circumstances, was not his comfort. It was his relationship with Christ so that when he was weak, Christ was strong through him. That's what Paul's wrestling with. And so verse 23 is not some kind of death wish or suicidal thought. Look, look what he says. Uh, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. That's not Paul going, man, life is just so hard. I just feel so overwhelmed. I just need to escape. No, 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 no. That's Paul saying, I love Jesus so much that I just can't wait to see him face to face. Get this. He says in verse 21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Get this. This is so key. The second part, 
only makes sense if the first part is true. If for you to live is Christ, then to die is gain. But if for you, what you're building your life on is your career, is your family, is your image, is your health, then to die is loss because you lose all the things you're building your life on. Paul could say to die is gain only because he could say to live is Christ. I'll never forget uh, years ago, I had the opportunity to listen to one of my favorite preachers, favorite authors, a guy named John Piper. And John Piper was, uh, he had come to Phoenix. He actually was doing a conference at what's now Redemption Gilbert. And he did a special talk one night that was uh, just kind of a men's event. And I'll never forget the question he asked. He said, if you could go to heaven right now and have all the joys of heaven, great health, beautiful places, be reunited with your family, if you could have everything you could ever want in heaven, but Jesus weren't there, would you still want to go? Maybe you hear that question and you think what I thought when I heard it, which is, yeah, I kind of think I still would. And he went on to help me see that if you don't want Christ, you don't want heaven. Because the main attraction of the kingdom of heaven is Jesus. You can only say that to die is gain if you can also say that to live is Christ. So what are you building your life on? What is your foundation? What gives you meaning? What keeps you going? Listen, if you build your life on your family, you will have confidence if things with your family are going well, right? Like when your kids are well-behaved and their grades are good and they're excelling in sports and all the different stuff. And people come to you and go, man, you're so wise. How did you do it? And you go, I, I don't know, but my book's coming out later this year. Let me tell you. Right? You feel a lot of confidence then. But then when one of them starts to go, you know what? I'm kind of questioning whether I even think this whole God thing's real. And one of them starts dating a guy that isn't good. One of them acts out in public. Then you got no confidence because what you've built your life on is shifting sand. If you build your life on your career, well, it's great as long as everything's up and to the right, but when it's not, who am I? You build your life on your health. That's great as long as you're healthy and strong and vibrant, but listen, everybody gets old and dies, and the journey there is pretty painful. What can you build your life on that can last, that can be strong, that can be firm, that can endure, that can give you confidence no matter what you face, Jesus. Because when life is good, you can go, thank you, Jesus, I don't deserve this. This is far more than I could ever deserve as a sinner who's rebelled against you. And when life is bad, you have the confidence that God is close to the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushed in spirit, and that Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Put your life in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Build your life on Jesus, and you will have confidence that transcends circumstance. Here's the second thing we see 
a life built on Christ, if you have a life built on Christ, you approach the world with a different loyalty. You approach the world with a different loyalty. And there's a play on words here that Paul uses in verse 27, which is what we're drawing this from. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That phrase, let your manner of life, uh, could literally be translated, uh, live as a citizen. Live as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why would Paul do this play on words? Well, it's because Philippi was this Roman colony that was uh, created really to be a kind of safe haven for military vets. Many of the vets who had fought in significant wars could go to Philippi where they could live as a veteran in Philippi tax-free for the rest of their life. How many are like, I'm in. I'll go to Philippi. Tax-free, and they would get Roman citizenship automatically, which was, which was not an easy thing to have. It gave you incredible rights. So Philippi was this very patriotic place. Uh, they would say, right, they, they believed that Caesar had divine powers. And so people would say, uh, and you can actually find coins with these sorts of things printed on it, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Savior. And in a very kind of a patriotic type place, many events would kick off with, just like we would you know, start with the national anthem, they would start with, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And so Paul is using this play on citizenship to say, hey, 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 Philippians, where's your real citizenship? Live your life as a citizen of the gospel. Live your life not as a citizen of Philippi, not as a a citizen of Rome, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Commentator Gordon Fee says it this way, what's intended by this wordplay is something like live in the Roman colony of Philippi as worthy citizens of your heavenly homeland. In other words, when when people see you, Paul's saying, they should see that you stand out because of how you conduct yourself as a citizen of the kingdom of God. If you go overseas, if you go into Asia, or you go into Europe, or you go into Africa, or you go into South America, if you go anywhere else, you can spot the other people who are Americans. You just see them. You see it because of how they dress, because of how they walk, a lot because of how loud they are, right? Because we think that like, if people can't hear us, right, like, we should just talk louder, even though we don't speak their language. <laughs> Like, if I, just, if I just yell at English louder, they'll get it, right? No, no, no. That's very... so, so, but you can tell who the Americans are just by how they conduct themselves. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, Philippians, let people see who you are by how you conduct yourself. Live a life of loyalty to God's kingdom, not loyalty to Rome. Now, this was going to cost them. Think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus who believes that Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord, and every civic event starts out with, Caesar is Lord, what do you have to do? You have to take a knee. Figuratively speaking. Well, what, how does that go when you don't go along with the civic celebration of Caesar as Lord? Well, it goes about like it went when football players in America took a knee. A lot of people freak out about it. So this is, a, this is inviting a great deal of suffering, a great deal of pain. 
Now, what makes this trickier for us here in America, right? If you're in a lot of other countries, you go, gosh, that, that country is so obviously godless that like, it's easier maybe to be loyal to the kingdom of God rather than to that nation. But in America, this is a little tricky because there is a lot of kind of Judeo-Christian history. There's a lot of people who view America as a kind of Christian country. And so it's easy for us to kind of get this confused a little bit and go, well, where is my loyalty? Is my loyalty to the kingdom of God or is my loyalty to America? And, and it's possible, isn't it? I mean, don't you agree? It's possible to be a faithful, patriotic American and a faithful Christian. That's a possible thing. You're like, yes, yes, it is. It really is. Now, do some people go overboard? Yeah. Are some people their functional religion in America? Yeah. That's a problem. So it's a little dicier for us. It's not quite as clear cut maybe in some ways. But let me ask you, where is your loyalty? Where's your citizenship? And how does your citizenship of the kingdom of God show up in a way that kind of confronts and clashes your citizenship of the American dream? Like, here's one thing I think of. Many of you give away huge amounts of money. You give away 10%, 12%, 15% of your income. You give away, some, some of you more. You give away to church. You give away to missions. You give away to causes that do good in the world. Some of you are so unbelievably generous. And what it does is it shows that your citizenship is with the kingdom of God, not with the kingdom of this earth. Because the kingdom of this earth, and especially the American dream, says maximize everything you can do. Spend all the money you get. It's for you. And when you give in a generous way, when you say, you know what, I could have that, but in order to have that, I'd have to stop giving to this cause that advances the kingdom of God, and it's just not worth it. That shows your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. I'm so thankful for some teachers at my kid's school whose citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. My kids go to a, a public charter school, and they've had multiple teachers who are followers of Jesus who've pulled them aside and prayed for them. You're not supposed to do that. But these teachers said, no, 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 my, my loyalty is to the kingdom of God, not to the rules and regulations that they put on schools. This is why some of you who are followers of Jesus, you have done the difficult, gut-wrenching work of forgiveness. And people who have hurt you, you've, you've forgiven them before the Lord, and sometimes when they've owned up to it, you've actually forgiven them to them. And your friends and people around you who don't follow Jesus go, you're crazy, man. Eye for an eye. Like, do you remember what they did to you? And you go, yes, I do remember what they did to me. And I also remember what I did to Jesus, and he forgave me. And I'm not a, king, a, a member of the kingdom of this world. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Where's your loyalty lie? Paul says if your loyalty is in the kingdom of heaven, you should be unified. Look at what he says. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So one of the ways that we show the world a different kind of loyalty is that we stick together. We love each other. We don't bite and devour other Christians. We hold fast, show that our loyalty is not to this world or to a political party or to 
our hobbies or preferences, but that our loyalty is to the kingdom of God. Here's the third thing that's different when you build your life on Jesus. When you build your life on Jesus, you receive suffering for Jesus as a gracious gift from Jesus. Let me say that again. When you build your life on Jesus, you receive suffering for Jesus as a gracious gift from Jesus. Paul has experienced this suffering, and he's telling this Philippians, listen, as you guys demonstrate your loyalty to Jesus, as you build your life on Jesus, here's what's going to happen. You're going to experience suffering, but it is a gift to you of God's grace. Look at verse 29. It says, for it has been granted to you, and the Greek word there is the same word that we get the word grace from. It has been graced to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. So get what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, God has given you a gift, and it comes in multiple packages. And the first one is belief in him. The second one is suffering. You go, what? Like, like, you've had a time on your birthday, right, where someone comes to you and they go, hey, I got you this, this cool gift. I'm so excited to give this to you. Um, but there's actually, there's two boxes, right? And they're, they're wrapped identically. They look, they look the same. They're like, okay, I open this one first and then open this one. But this is all just one package gift, right? You've had this, right? And, and, you, and so here's, here's what it is. God's saying, here's this amazing two-package gift. Okay, open the first one. And you open it up and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. Wow, thank you, God, you gave me faith. I did not believe in you. I did not trust in you. I did not treasure you. And you have put the joy and love of Jesus in my heart. Oh God, thank you for that amazing gift. I can't wait to see what's in the next box. And you open the next box and you go, um, I think Amazon sent the wrong box. Maybe we should exchange this, like, because this suffering, God? And God goes, no, 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 that's, yeah, that's the gift. And you're like, uh, can I have it? Can I have a different gift? But that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, it has been graced to you to believe in Jesus. Aren't you glad you get to believe in Jesus? And it has been graced to you to suffer for his sake. And he'll actually go on to say in chapter three that when we suffer for his sake, we experience fellowship with him. So the gift of suffering is not the suffering. It's the fellowship of his presence that we experience when we suffer for his sake. Some of you are suffering for his sake. Some of you are, are, have, have walked away from an LDS background that you grew up in. Generations and generations of family members who raised you in the LDS faith and you have walked away from it. And with it, you've had people sit in your living room and say, our kids will no longer ever come to your home because you guys are crazy and demon-possessed. And you've walked away toward Jesus in all his true glory and grace. And you're suffering for his sake. That's a gift of God to you because Jesus is with you and Jesus is for you. 
Some of you, you have a photography business and, and you used to do a lot of wedding photos and you used to do a lot of engagement photos, but now it's all goofy because there's all kinds of weddings and engagements that you just can't get excited about because of your faith. And so you've made a policy of how you kind of approach that and your business has dried up and it's just a fraction of what it was and now you're looking for another line of work. Jesus is with you because you're suffering for his sake. Listen, there's lots of suffering we experience. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about suffering for his sake. That when we stand for Jesus, when our life is built on Jesus, when we, when we are firm in our confidence, in our faith, in our conviction for Jesus, there are times when we will suffer. People will speak ill of us. People will mistrust us. People will lie about us. People will just want to keep their distance. And here's what he's saying, that is a grace. Receive it as a grace. We have a lot to learn in this area. We have a lot to learn, I think, from the historic black church, which has faithfully suffered and stayed close to Jesus in a way that many of us don't really understand. And we also have a lot to learn from the international church, from brothers and sisters around the world who are not in nearly as comfortable of a situation as we are. And so we actually have a special treat here to end this sermon today. Is uh, We're going to get to hear from Mark Burns, uh, who, is a, who is a missionary. He's a worker. He's a church planter in Turkey. And he happened to be here. Uh, we support him, and we're uh, partnered with him. Mark, you can go ahead and come on up. And uh, we're supporting him and connected with him, and we're kind of his, uh, one of his sending churches. And uh, he happened to come back for his parents' 50th wedding anniversary, so he happened to be in town. He was here last week, and he's here today. So will you give a welcome to Mark Burns? Thank you. Hey, brother. It's so cool that you could be here. It was fun that you were here last week, too. Yeah. Pretty cool. So uh, tell everybody a little bit, just to kind of set the stage a little bit, tell, tell them about your family and tell them about your ministry. In 2005, my wife and my youngest son, uh, or my oldest son at the time, uh, we moved to Turkey to work together with the Istanbul Protestant Church Foundation with the desire to see a church planted in a place that had absolutely no Christians. And we were in Istanbul for a while, learning the language, learning the culture, learning how Turks did church and lived out their faith. And then we were asked to help at a church plant in Eskishir, which is in the center of Turkey. But then uh, we moved 10 years ago to the city that we're in now. It's on the Black Sea coast called Dereli in the province of Zonguldak. And we've been there uh, trying to share our faith and to start a church. But uh, for 10 years, it's been long going. But about three years ago, we got the joy to meet together with some Iranian refugees and to start a fellowship with them. And they've been eager to share and have an open door for anyone to come and be a part of our group. Yeah. Well, I think, that, I, I think that it's important for all of us here. And I hope one of the things that you'll do as you go to lunch or as you go home or as you ride home or whatever, I hope we'll all reflect on, you know, what, what is my life built on? Um, is it giving me confidence that can transcend circumstances? Is it allowing me to be loyal uh, to Christ and to his kingdom? Is, is, it, is it something that receives suffering as a gift and as grace? And so uh, you're not up here necessarily as like, a, boy, Mark has figured it all out. And uh, everyone, once you grow up, you'll be like Mark. But I know that you've wrestled with some of these things up close and personal, maybe in some ways that we haven't, as you've dealt with disappointment and opposition and some of that stuff. So I think it'd just be great for us to be able to hear some of your heart um, as you kind of reflect on some of what we've been talking about. So I'm curious for you, how, how have you seen 
Jesus give you confidence that has transcended some of the difficult circumstances? I mean, really what we're trying to do in the place uh, is audacious. Uh, that the people don't want what we have to give to them. Uh, they may want a lot of things from us, but it's not necessarily Jesus. And it's just from our simple walk with God, our prayer life with God, that gives us the confidence each day to reflect and say, I've been here for a long time, and people haven't responded in faith. And to still know that it's Jesus that has brought us this far and equipped us to do what we do in terms of language and abilities, but that we know that he has us there, and there's a peace in that. How, how, because you're, you're very upfront about what you're doing. I mean, you're not one of these people that's claiming to be one thing, but actually you're a, a pastor. You're very direct about it. So I, I would think that kind of a loyalty to Jesus that's just kind of right out in front at times creates uh, some tensions that maybe a loyalty for our faith doesn't feel quite the same. So how, how is that fleshed out as you've been very vocal about your faith in Christ? One thing is just being an American, people want to talk about different things in politics or uh, different things that are happening or sports. And having the desire to really share Jesus mm -hmm. and not get caught up in things that really I have no personal uh, ability to change and to focus on sharing Jesus with the people and knowing that that's the thing that they need the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk about the, um, just the, the way that you've experienced suffering as a grace because I, I, Mark was at our staff meeting this week, and I asked, I asked you, I said, hey, what, were some, what would be some things that if we actually were there, we'd be really surprised by it? And you said something like, I think you'd be surprised how lonely it is, because we're really, other than some of these Iranian folks, like in our whole province, we're kind of the only Christians. Um, how have you seen those hardships, other hardships, as God's grace to you? I mean, the, in the midst of the frustration of longing for something to happen for so long, even before we ever moved to Turkey 14 years ago, and to not have them happen, um, just God to continue to meet with us and to encourage us and to look at all the things that we do, whether it's language or leading worship and sharing Jesus with people and be like, this is exactly what I want to do. And there's a huge joy in that. Mm. But at the same time, uh, like feeling overwhelmed at experiences like this of during the worship of having this many people worshiping God um, can be hard at times. Yeah, it's funny. You come in here, like it's easier for us to kind of come in here and go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, you come in here and like, you don't ever get something like this. This feels like this waterfall of cold, refreshing water for your soul. And I just think it's great for us to be able to even kind of be challenged by, by how that feels. You, you said something to me, um, I'll put you on the spot here, but um, I preached a message some months ago where I talked about desperation and about how there really just aren't that many moments where I just naturally feel all that desperate. So sometimes I have to get in postures or I'll kneel or do other things to just remind myself of desperation. And you, you listened to some of our sermons and, mm -hmm. and you texted me and you said, desperation is where I live. And um, I don't know if you'd be willing to just talk about that. <laughs> I mean, it is... Uh... You know, when you first go and you feel this call to go, 
and no one else feels that call, you feel really unique and kind of special, and it is special. But after being in a place and learning the language and ha feeling like a little kid, feeling stupid, having to learn the language, uh, being a foreigner and having people wanting wrong things from you that you don't have to give, or at times feeling like we don't have the resources to do what we want to do, or thinking about different opportunities that we could have, that it, that process and thinking through things, it's, you come to the point of saying, yeah, there's nothing special about me being here. Mm -hmm. And all of the abilities um, of learning the language or even learning how to play the guitar and to be able to lead worship in three different languages, it's <laughs> like, this isn't me. And the joy that there is mm -hmm. um, in being used by God, mm -hmm. but at the same time, uh, that huge pressure that's there. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, but it's, it, it's either totally relying on Christ or complete failure and giving up. Mm. And, I mean, that's the knife edge that we live yeah. on. Yeah. But I'd rather have, like, that's what I want the most. Yeah. Brother, I just, I see the tenacity of Jesus in you and that desperation that you have for the people around you to know him. I just want you to know we're in this with you and we love you and we want to see what God will continue to do. I think fruit is already beginning to show up and I think this next decade is gonna be even more significantly more powerful uh, in your life than the last one. And so I, I wanna just encourage you to, to join us in partnering with Mark. We, every time you give, actually, a portion of what you give goes to help uh, support Mark and Catherine and their work. But we'd love you to be supporting them in prayer and if you're able to, even to support them financially. So there's a, uh, there's a card out in the lobby um, that you can pick up. Go ahead and, uh, if you are interested in being part of their prayer support team or uh, giving financially to them, uh, at the info desk you can pick up one of these cards. And then if you are interested and able to, and this is something I don't think we've ever actually ever asked people to support an additional thing like this, um, but I'm asking you if you would, uh, those of you who have the ability to give over and above your regular giving, if you would give on a regular basis to support this church planning ministry in Turkey. You can do it through our website. We handle and process all of the uh, money that people from all over the world who give to Mark and Catherine, we help process that. And so if you just go to our giving page and select uh, Burns Church Planning Turkey, um, that really will help continue to strengthen the ministry uh, that Mark and Catherine are doing. So will you thank Mark? Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Paul writes that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And whether you live in Turkey or Santan Valley, you have an opportunity to show that Jesus is your treasure, that he's what your life is built on. So let's pray together that God would give us his grace. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace of believing in Jesus. God, we love because we were first loved by him. And so, Father, we come to you and ask that our hope would not be built on the shifting sand of people's approval or of work or family or even any other good thing, but that our lives would be built on Jesus so that we could be strong, so that we could endure, so that you would be seen as the treasure that you are. God, we pray for Mark and Catherine and their family. Give them endurance, give them perseverance. God, as they experience the knife's edge of desperation, would they also experience your presence right there with them? 
God, increase our desperation as well, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.